0: with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit intuit.com, i n t u i t.com to start living yours. Let's get into it.
1: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford
0: do you think life on Earth will last?
3: You mean human life or just life in general on Earth? Let's assume that humanity somehow manages to off itself. What do you think is going to survive? Uh, I'm not sure we uh, we have to assume that. It's it's looking pretty probable (laughs) these days. Probably some of the stuff in the back of my fridge that looks pretty, pretty hardy.
0: It's been there for thousands and millions of years. Well, my wife would like that answer since she's a microbiologist. They are a tough bunch, microbes. But let's think bigger. What about multicellular life? You think anything like that could survive?
3: Mm, like an actual like animal organism? Yeah. Um, don't they say cockroaches can survive a nuclear explosion? But I'm not sure that's true.
0: I'm not sure that's true either. I think it's just good PR by the cockroach lobby. But there is something on Earth that is even tougher than the cockroach. I hear it's cuter too. That's not a very high bar to pass.
3: Hi, I'm Jorge. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of Ph.D. Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist. And welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: In which we go all around the universe and find interesting, weird, crazy little creepy crawly stuff to talk to you about and explain it to you in a way that hopefully you find entertaining.
3: Cute little creatures and also horrifyingly scary-looking creatures. Sometimes they're even the same <laughs> organism.
0: That's true. You know, um, there are lots of things which look scary when they're big and then are just cute and cuddly when they're small. Like if you walk next to a mountain lion, you'd be freaked out. But everybody's house cat is basically a miniaturized mountain lion. It's
3: all about the scale.
0: It's all about the scale. The opposite is true also. Take anything you find cute, a dragonfly and make it the size of a school bus. And all of a sudden, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying, yeah. So some things are cute when they're tiny and terrifying when they're huge. Yeah. And one it's kind of those, like children too, you know? They <laughs> grow up into teenagers, <laughs> terrifying. Cute as
3: toddlers, terrifying as teens.
0: Exactly. And especially terrifying if your toddler grows up to be the size of a school bus.
3: So today we're going to talk about something that's been on the news lately, right, Daniel? It's been uh, apparently, it's now been uh, colonizing the moon lately.
0: That's right. This is a fascinating little creature. It's a bit of a departure for us because it's not quite physics, but it appeared in the news recently. And also we had a listener write in and say, this is her favorite thing in the whole world. And could we please talk about it on the podcast?
3: favorite thing in the world is this creature that we're going to talk about. Yes, exactly. Is this tiny Uh little creature. That it may now be colonizing the moon. (laughs) Exactly. So today on the program, we'll be talking about tardigrades. Uh, What is a tardigrade and uh, why are they so interesting and how did they end up on the moon? That's the question we'll be talking about today.
0: Yeah. Turns out they're a crazy little creature that can do things no other creature we know of can do. So it's quite amazing.
3: Yeah. And it's also a little bit uh, cute slash terrifying at the same time. <laughs> so if you are uh, not driving right now and have a moment, uh, you, you're welcome to pause our podcast right now and just go on the Internet and search for images of tardigrades. And what you will find will both um, make you go aww and (laughs) "oh."
0: If you imagine one the size of a school bus.
3: So yeah, tardigrades are um, these creatures and they look wild, right? Like if you can look at a picture of them, they look like monsters from a science fiction movie.
0: Uh, They do look like crazy little creatures. And, you know, usually at this point in the podcast, we go out and we ask people on the street what they know about the subject. But today we're doing something a little bit different. Today, instead of
3: starting with asking people on the street what they think a tardigrade is, we're going to try a new segment today called Ask the Wrong Expert." (laughs) in which we bring somebody on who's a world-class expert on one topic and ask them about something completely
0: different. (laughs) That's right. And I feel like this is only fair, since I'm always springing questions on random people at UC Irvine. They're not experts in what I'm asking them about. And we hear them speculate and sometimes struggle and guess so I thought it might be fun to also hear what happens when you ask an expert a scientist about something they don't know anything about.
3: And so to the program we have our good friend Brian Keating. Welcome Brian. Hi guys, great to be with you again virtually through the ether. All right, so Brian is a professor of astrophysics at UC San Diego's Department of Physics. He has over 100 scientific publications and holds two US patents. Tell us Brian, what
4: do you what kind of a what are you an expert in? My specialty is experimental cosmology, so I I build new universes and no, I don't do that. I build telescopes that can see invisible radiation known as the cosmic microwave background radiation. And my number one project now is going to be one of the world's highest uh, altitude observatories on earth called the Simons Observatory. I'm the director of it and it's a collaboration of about 260 scientists on all seven continents on planet Earth. Wow. Brian, you're also the author of a book called Losing the Nobel Prize. That book was published in uh, 2018, and the pipe paperback edition, the new and improved paperback edition, is about to come out any day now. It's
0: a really fun book for those of you who haven't checked it out. It uh, chronicles Brian's adventures and misadventures in physics, um, which I, I think is really fascinating. I think it's really brave of you to talk all about how... Uh, your experiment thought they saw something, and then turns out they didn't.
4: It's a two part memoir, really. Well, a part of it's a story about what it's like to actually do experimental science. You know, a lot of our colleagues, you know, Daniel, you excluded, but a lot of our colleagues, brainiac scientists as they are, are theoreticians, which means that they deal with the esoterica between their ears, and and perhaps to be discovered centuries long after they're gone. Uh, and these include, you know, wonderful writers, Stephen Hawking, Brian Greene, Lisa Randall, et cetera, et cetera. And they're wonderful, as I say, and they inspire us. But uh, an experimentalist, in some sense, has a unique vantage point on the process of how science is done. So I want to chronicle what it's like to do experimental science at the world's extremes and what it, how it took me from a small telescope as a 12-year-old kid all the way to the bottom of the Earth uh, at the South Pole, Antarctica, where... I've been several times and done research along with a team that thought we had glimpsed the afterglow of what's called inflation. I know you guys have done some some podcast episodes on that. I won't get into too much detail, but suffice it to say, inflation is the epoch theorized by theorists, our friends, Alan Guth and, and others, to have produced the the bang in the Big Bang, the what caused the expansion of the universe to accelerate incredibly rapidly at extremely early times. And when we made this announcement on St. Patrick's Day, the world was really uh, in awe that we had discovered, as they say, the aftershocks of of the Big Bang itself, so to speak. This uh, set the world's uh, attention and media on fire with millions and millions of people around the world uh, excited about these discoveries. And as I recount in the book, the extraordinary experience that it was like to be once be the leader of this team and then go to being kind of on the outskirts of it, just as we were being positioned to potentially be the recipients of the Nobel Prize for the magnitude of this discovery. So it's a memoir of that process. And then along the way, immediately after the denouement, as they say, of that episode, I was asked by the Swedish Royal Academy of Sciences to nominate the winners of the Nobel Prize that I potentially could have been eligible for. So it'd be kind of like, you know, somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, guys, you guys have a great podcast, but uh, can you introduce me to Neil deGrasse Tyson? Because I'd really rather be on that show. Uh, so it was kind of humiliating in a sense and uh, because I had aspired to win a Nobel prize for a long time and it really impelled me to look at the Nobel prize and what it did to me personally and perhaps to other scientists around the world too. So it was sort mm. of cathartic in a way. And many scientists have written to say uh, that they, they agree with the kind of um, conjectures and proposals that I put forth to reform what's arguably not just science's highest honor, but humanity's highest honor. There's really, you know, nowhere to go from there but down in terms of accolades that a human being can receive. So it's a it's a memoir coupled with a little polemic, you know, a dash, a side order of polemicism on the side.
0: And have you received any feedback from the Nobel Prize committee themselves? Are they open yes. to your reform proposals?
4: Oh yes, they embrace it wildly. They they want to adopt them completely. <laughs> change it to the Keating Prize. They want to the give you Nobel- a Nobel Prize in Literature just for the book. <laughs> well, a that's Nobel what somebody prize said. in yeah. Nobel Prizes. Yeah. Sabine <laughs> <So laughs> Hossenfelder. Uh, I guess you. Go, I'm sure you guys know. She she wrote a kind of a critical review of my book, but in the end, she said the writing is so good. You know, maybe he'll win. He'll lose the Nobel Prize in literature next, but um, no, they there have not go. been they have be cool. not, <laughs> losing
3: another losing a second Nobel Prize. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Brian. So you are an expert in astrophysics and the Big Bang and cosmology and experimental physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today we are going to be asking you about today's topic, which is
4: about tardigrades. Oh. Have you heard of tardigrades before? Uh, yes, I used to receive a lot of negative ones in school for being late. <laughs> Get it? Get it? Oh, that's quite good. Yes, I, 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 you, I know about tardigrades. I, I don't call them tardigrades; I call them water bears.
1: All right, and, oh. I, and
4: I understand there's not only uh, plenty of them on Earth, but there's also a few in the heavens.
0: That's right. Oh. They have established a base. Maybe on the you mountains. are
4: uh, an expert in tardigrades. Then, yes. well,
0: let's find out. The point of this game: ask the wrong expert. Is to see how scientists think when we take them out of their, you know, the little niche that they've developed an expertise in and ask them to think carefully about something else. And so that's why, Brian, we wanted to ask you questions about something that wasn't your field. So feel free to answer wildly and share your thoughts.
3: (laughs) Okay. And you haven't had time to look this up in Google or anything, right, Brian? No, I promise. I'm not not Googling
0: aloud.
4: I'm not looking on Wikipedia right right now. I promise you. (laughs)
0: First question is true or false. Tardigrades are sometimes called moss piglets.
4: Moss piglets. I'll say true.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, True or false. The name tardigrade means slow moving. That sounds about right. True. All right. True or false. Daniel named one of his children after tardigrades.
4: No, but I know that you have uh, some rats in the house. So maybe you named a rat after a tardigrade. <laughs> you have
3: water bears in your house? <laughs> he has water
4: rats in his I'm house. I'm sure
0: actually everybody does have water bears in their house. And they're <laughs> That's everywhere. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, you are three for three on that one, Brian. I'm really yes. impressed. Wow.
4: Thank you. I'd like to thank the Academy, the Nobel <laughs> Academy. Oh,
0: oh, you're not done yet. We got more oh. questions. For you. Oh, okay. Oh, right. hey, there is a Nobel one?
3: Prize for um, podcast guessing.
0: <laughs> I right Podcast it. guessing, if you j- <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right. Second question, Brian, is which evolves first, tardigrades or dinosaurs?
4: Oh, that's a good one. Um, you mean which is older, not, I mean, they're probably, presumably co evolved at some point uh so, I'll which go came with, first the I'll water game, bear or the dinosaur i'm gonna say some form of dinosaur some form of creature that would have predated them maybe so you're going with dinosaurs i'll go with some form of well actually you're making me reconsider i'll go <laughs> oh, tardigrade. he's hedging he's hedging hey, <laughs> i'm hedgehogging i'm moss pigleting
0: well um i appreciate your change of direction there you were correct in your final answer though not in your preliminary <laughs> one Tardigrades <laughs> do outdate the dinosaurs
4: they don't look a day over 68 million (laughs) years
0: all right next question tardigrades can live almost anywhere but where do they like to live a volcanoes b under vending machines c a two-bedroom condo in hollywood or d any place damp
4: i'm gonna go with the last one d
0: i think um lots of two-bedroom condos in hollywood are probably pretty damp also
4: that's true too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's true. They can live wherever they want. Probably, if they can live in space. They don't need water. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna revise my answer but see then.
0: No, your first answer was right. It's oh, any okay. damn place. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all
3: right. Next question is: What's the highest temperature a tardigrade can tolerate? Is it a 100 degrees Fahrenheit? B 300 degrees Fahrenheit? C 1 million degrees Fahrenheit? Or D, they have even survived LHC collisions at 5.5 million degrees.
0: I'm gonna go with B. You are a good guesser, Brian. That yes. you have a very, very deep knowledge.
4: Or a fast internet connection. Just kidding, I don't.
0: <laughs> are you feeding all these questions into Siri? <laughs> is she listening in and poking <laughs> in the answers? Alright, last question. Which of the two scenarios is more likely in your opinion? A. A robot revolution in which we all become slaves to artificial intelligence. Or B, tardigrades building a civilization on the moon and becoming our lunar overlords.
4: Well, we know that they're living there now. They got there courtesy of an Israeli spacecraft. I'll say A is more likely, because these these little tardigrades are... Yeah, we're going to keep them at bay on the moon.
0: All right, well, it's good to know that you worry more about AI revolution than the coming of our lunar (laughs) apocalypse.
3: I want to see that movie where we become slaves to the artificial intelligence robots, but then the tardigrades come down from the moon to save us. Ah. And it's all just this great giant battle between water bears and robots. (laughs) Maybe even some dinosaurs you could throw in. This is giving me an idea for a new book, The
4: Tardigrade Hypothesis. That's a literature Nobel
0: Prize right there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Team up with Michael Bay. I'm sure that'll be a big hit.
4: That's right. I'll share you share the opening credits with you guys.
0: All right. Thank you very much for playing our silly game. And doing so well, we need to come up with some sort of prize. How about 10 tardigrades? Yeah. Are you
3: going to record uh, his answering machine, Daniel?
0: Or <laughs> maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for being a guest on the podcast. And folks, check out Brian's book. Tell us again, Brian, what it's called.
4: It's called Losing the Nobel Prize, and it is available in paperback uh, as we speak, hopefully.
0: All right, so check that out, and you can lose your own Nobel Prize. All right, so Brian did pretty well in our quiz. I was impressed with how well he was able to answer questions about something he does not have a PhD in.
3: And so we'll get into what a tardigrade is, where can it survive, and where can you find them. But first, let's take a quick break.
1: It's season three of The Joy of Why,
3: and I still have a lot of questions. Like, what is this thing we call time? Why does
1: altruism exist? And where is Jan 11? I'm here, astrophysicist and co-host, ready for anything. That's right. I'm bringing in the A-team. So brace yourselves. Get ready to learn. I'm Jan 11. I'm Steve Strogatz. And this is... Quantum Magazine's podcast, The Joy of Why. New episodes drop every other Thursday, starting February 1st.
5: From the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development,
3: All right, we're talking about tardigrades. What are they? Why are they so funny looking? Why are they so cute and scary at the
0: same time? They are crazy little creatures. And so for those of you who don't have a Google image in front of you, let's try to sketch it out for you in your mind. Oh, man, let's let's
3: try to paint the nightmare. Yeah, exactly.
0: And remember, they're tiny. All right. So first of all, these things are tiny. They range from 0.3 to 1.2 millimeters. So they're absolutely microscopic. But they do look a little bit like bears. I mean, except that they have
4: eight yeah. legs.
3: Yeah, I think I, if anyone's not, not seen these before, I would describe them as like little plush teddy bear animals. <laughs> With like giant claws and horrifying mouths with teeth.
0: That's kind of... Yes, it's the face. The face (laughs) is horrifying, right? You got the legs. So they've got eight legs, four on each side with little claws in them. And they're sort of poofy like a pillow, you say. But the mouth, the face, that's the part that's terrifying because... There's no discernible eyes. It's just like this sucking thing in the front We're lying with teeth all around. Oh, right? yeah have you are you a watcher of stranger things? I am yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I think that these things might have been the inspiration for the demagogue or whatever that thing is that comes out of uh, the upside down because it also has this eyeless face that's featuring just a big mouth. yeah, lined with, with a bunch of teeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think this thing would be really terrifying if it was the size of a school bus or you know even like a red wagon. It would be pretty scary. But the fact that it's microscopic means that, you know, it can't really do you any harm.
3: But still, it's, uh, it's pretty scary. And even though I know that they are only like a millimeter or less than a millimeter in length, it's scary to think that those things are out there. They could be on me, inside of me, maybe. I don't know. You tell me.
0: <laughs> there are almost certainly some on you. I mean, these things are found everywhere. They are in sand dunes. They're in soil. They're in leaf litter. They're in water, especially like any sort of damp place at all, you'll find them. And if you scoop up like, you know, a liter of sort of gunky water near the edge of a pond, you probably get about 25,000 of them in a liter.
3: Like any old pond all over the world?
0: From the tops of mountains to, you know, wet, goopy places to basically everywhere. These things have adapted to live in almost every environment on Earth.
3: And just to be clear, are they insects? Are they bugs? Are they like... Bacteria? What, what, what are they? What do they officially classify under?
0: Well, they are not bacteria, right? They're multicellular. They are, actually are an animal. They're officially categorized as a an micro animal, but they're in the kingdom animalia. They're not an insect. They're not bacteria. They're not a microbe. But they are just a tiny, tiny, tiny little animal. And genetically, people think that they evolved to be tiny from something larger.
3: Oh, no kidding. They started out bigger. Yeah. It's, that's it's, that's not it's an, scary at all.
0: Exactly. It's an example of miniaturization. And, you know, I love when this thing, when this happens in evolution, when things like change dramatically in scale, you know, like horses used to be much smaller and whales evolved from something much smaller. And these tardigrades evolved yeah. from something larger. Like we don't know exactly how much larger that there are some fossilized versions But it's a bit of speculation. But imagine like, you know, there could have been like a time when there were big tardigrades roaming the Earth.
3: Yeah, like a hand-sized tardigrade or Mm. maybe even bigger.
0: But yeah, these are one of the
3: tiniest little animals on Earth. And they've been on the news lately because apparently they've made it all the way to the moon somehow. There is
0: now life on the moon. There is now life on the moon. Yes, this Israeli lander they sent up to the moon um, had this project on it to sort of record human and Earth DNA. And they said, you know, if something goes wrong on the Earth, it might be good to have sort of like a backup copy of people and all sorts of other stuff somewhere else that's protected. So they were flying to the moon and they thought, oh, let's put some, you know, human DNA um, to bring up to the moon. And while we're at it, we'll bring some tardigrades. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? And then, of course, it crash landed, right? And a lot of it was vaporized. And people think that nothing survived except maybe the tardigrades because they are really tough little critters. They are really, really hard to kill.
3: Yeah. So that's kind of what they're known for, right? Is their hardiness and their ability to survive even the craziest of
0: environments. Yeah, they are really hard to kill. And people have found them in all sorts of places on Earth, like... They found them in hot springs. They find them in the Himalayas. They found them on the bottom of the ocean. They find them in layers of solid ice. And they've done all sorts of crazy experiments on them just to sort of test how far they can push the survival of a tardigrade.
3: Wow, so what are some of the most extreme conditions that we know that they can survive?
0: Well, one thing they've done is just like dose them with radiation. Because, you know, radiation is one thing that kills people and it kills people when you're in outer space or when you're on the surface of the earth. And so what they've done is just just, like like, stick them
3: in the microwave, (laughs) see what happens with some grapes, (laughs) which is more exciting.
0: Um, Yeah, exactly. No, they just like blasted them with gamma rays, you know, and it turns out that um, tardigrades can survive radiation doses that would kill humans and even more like they can survive radiation doses that are hundreds of times the radiation dose that would be deadly to a human being.
3: Wow. But my question is, how can they do that? How can they survive all of that radiation, is it? are they just made out of like tougher materials or the, the DNA is just more, I don't know, more like
0: redundant
3: or what's, what's their secret?
0: There are some organisms that are called extremophiles that are adapted to live in crazy environments like high radiation, etc. And some of those bacteria, for example, they have extra copies of their DNA and just in case one of them gets blasted, they can recopy them, right? And um, so that's mm. adapting for living in those environments. Tardigrades aren't like that. They're not adapted to live in these environments. They just sort of can survive because they're extra tough. And, one, and the way they do is they have this special protein inside their body um, that protects them. And these proteins can like turn into glass and help them survive when it gets really, really dry or when there's a lot of radiation or basically when anything happens. They have armor yeah exactly but it's bio armor inside it's not like a shell it's something inside the body because the thing that happens when you get hit by radiation is that the stuff inside your body gets torn apart right it's the same problem that um Mm -hmm. when you freeze for example why can you not freeze a human being and then thaw them out the reason is that when water freezes it gets bigger right ice is bigger than liquid water and so each of your cells, for example, is a little bag of water. And when it freezes, it turns into ice, which is bigger than the cell membrane. and It basically bursts the cell. And so it's Wait, wait, wait.
3: wait. You mean Captain America could not have survived
0: being frozen <laughs> in the Arctic? The Marvel Cinematic Universe, not a documentary. Sorry to break to you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But somehow
3: these um, little animals, they can survive being frozen and they can survive super high... Temperatures and pressures and radiation. Mm-hmm. And you're saying it's all because they, something in like the liquid of their cells or something surrounding their cells kind of gives them that protection?
0: Yeah. It's like the liquid that's inside their cells is different from the liquid that's inside our cells. And it's hardier um, in that. And not heartier, like you make a better soup, though maybe it would. I don't know what tardigrade soup tastes like but it's hardier, like it's more robust.
3: Well, chances are you are probably eating a couple of tardigrades when you drink your soup, right? I
0: mean, every soup is tardigrade soup, is that what you're saying? Yeah, every that's soup ever. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's the soup of the inside their cells that's more robust. So, for example, when they, when they freeze, these proteins inside their cells turn into a kind of glass that protects the cell, right, from the inside.
3: Like, a, like it crystallizes into something unbreakable.
0: Yeah, it's described as turning into glass. I know the glass is not a crystal, so I'm not sure if crystallizing is exactly correct. But essentially, yeah, it uh, instead of turning into an ice cube, which is bigger than the drop of water it originated from, it turns into this little bit of glass. And they call this, it has this awesome name, they call it cryptobiosis, right? Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, so to survive these environments, the tardigrades, you know, these proteins turn into glass, and then they can do crazy stuff. Like, they can survive outer space. You could just like throw tardigrades into space, collect them again and add water and they wake up. Put them in the microwave. <laughs> what we haven't done is put them in the LHC. That was a funny suggestion, but it's not something I'm aware of that we've actually done. It's like, well, put, put it in the
3: next proposal, Daniel. <laughs> you could, you could make a cryptobiotic breakthrough.
0: I'm going to build a tardigrade collider. I want to see what happens when you accelerate tardigrades to the speed of light and collide them against each other.
3: So it's kind of almost the opposite. When they freeze, instead of forming crystals that might break the cells, you're saying that it has some sort of something in their, in their inside of their bodies that somehow hold it together so, so that you maybe don't get those crystals.
0: That's right. You don't get sort of ice crystals, exactly. You get this other stuff which doesn't expand. Because remember, ice is sort of special, right? Ice is one of the few things that when you freeze it, it gets bigger. It's a special property of water. Most things in the universe, when you freeze them, they get smaller. And so this has some other stuff inside its cell so that when it freezes, it doesn't get bigger. And so it avoids popping, even though we are mostly water.
3: And then how do they survive the high temperatures then? Is it just um, like
0: a thick skin or like a like everything's just held together better or what? They're just held together better. And so they can survive these high temperatures. They can survive these super low temperatures. They can even be dried out. And... um. You can, you can suck all the water out of these tardigrades and it doesn't, again, it doesn't like rearrange what's inside them in a way that breaks them. It like naturally zips it up. And so they've seen these tardigrades, they can get down to like 1% of the normal moisture they have. You know, it's like beef jerky, it's like tardigrade jerky. And then you add water back and it just like flips up and goes about its business, happily chumping away.
3: Do you think it would remember? Like, uh, do you think it's still thinking when it's dehydrated?
0: <laughs> I think we need to have one on the podcast so we can ask it these kind of questions. Yeah, so what is it like to be <laughs> Let's a? It's way for day. them to evolve in the moon, <laughs> and then we'll ask
3: them a question so they can survive in. You're saying volcanoes, even like hot springs, kind of up in the mountains. Yeah, the bottom of the sea. Yeah, they can survive outer up to space.
0: 420 degrees Kelvin. What? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Down to one degree Kelvin all the way up to 420 degrees Kelvin. It's really hard to kill these things.
3: What is 420 degrees Kelvin, relative to like water boiling or a fire?
0: 420 degrees Kelvin is about 150 degrees Celsius, which is higher than the boiling point of water. So you can make tardigrade soup and the tardigrades will still be happily swimming around inside.
3: <laughs> swimming around, <laughs> <laughs> drinking it
0: drinking with their horrifying mouth full of teeth. That's right. So when you eat tardigrade soup, are you eating the tardigrades or are they eating you?
3: All right. And so they somehow ended up in space because the Israelis put him there as an experiment to see if they would survive the moon trip or or in the moon. Is that kind of, so they were kind of thinking about landing these things on the moon or not. They
0: intended to land these things on the moon. That was the idea, right? But they had them sort of contained in a special little device. And they were, of course, in their cryptobiotic state. Um, But when it crash landed, you know, all that whole thing got ruptured and they got, you know, tossed out and they're tumbling along on the surface of the moon now. And so, you know, if the right drop of water hits them, then they could wake up. And you might think, well, there's no chance you're going to get water on the moon, right? But that's not that unlikely because the surface of the moon is pelted constantly by rubble from outer space. And some of that is ice, right? A huge fraction of the stuff that's out there in the solar system is ice. So you have this momentary impact of basically high speed ice on the surface of the moon. If it just happens to hit a tardigrade, it could melt, turn into water, wake up that tardigrade. Hello, you're on the moon. (laughs) What? What's going on? Where am I? (laughs) What? I'm on the moon? (laughs) Last thing I knew, I was in Israel. Yeah, because when they go into this cryptobiotic state, they're not dead, right? They're, and they're not totally paused. Their metabolism is actually still going, but it goes down to 0.01% of its normal metabolism. So that's like one in a thousand. So it's like your body is running at one one thousandth of its normal speed.
3: Wow, that's amazing. I don't
0: know what that's like, though, but I'd love to know.
3: All right, let's get into what it means to have tardigrades on the moon. But first, let's take a quick break. It's season three of The Joy of Why, and I still have a lot of questions. Like, what is this thing we call time? Why does
1: altruism exist? And where
3: is Jan 11?
1: I'm here, astrophysicist and co-host, ready for anything. That's right. I'm bringing in the A-team. So brace yourselves. Get ready to learn. I'm Jan 11. I'm Steve Strogatz. And this is... Quantum Magazine's podcast, The Joy of Why. New episodes drop every other Thursday, starting February 1st.
5: is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
3: All right, we're talking about tardigrades on the moon. And so there are now tardigrades on the moon. Kind of on purpose, but kind of by accident also, right? I mean, we, we meant to send them to the moon, but they got out.
0: That's right. They like, got in a, out.
3: like in a bad science fiction
0: movie. <laughs> nobody could imagine this stuff. And if they did, nobody would believe it, right? But it is our life. This is our universe. There are tardigrades on the moon. We don't know if they're walking around. We don't know if they're munching on on stuff, but they are there. And can they survive? Can, is, is there stuff for them to eat? What What do tardigrades eat? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Tardigrades, they eat plants and they eat little bacteria because remember they're super tiny. And sometimes they also eat tardigrades. So maybe there's only one tardigrade on the moon right now. (laughs) It's one big tardigrade now and it's hungry. (laughs) It ate all the other ones. (laughs) It's a grumpy tardigrade and it's looking to come back to Earth for lunch. All right.
3: Well, uh, good job, humans. You've now colonized the moon.
0: That's right, or our little allies. Hopefully, our friendly little allies have colonized the moon. And you know, it's funny to joke about like but, um tardigrades on the moon surviving sort of some sort of global apocalypse or catastrophe the humans bring on. But you know, tardigrades have already survived a lot of global catastrophes.
3: Yeah, that's right. They've been around. I mean, we've said it before. They're, they've been around longer than the dinosaurs, which means they've they've seen it all. They've seen it all. They've seen everything else come
0: and go. They're bored, right? They're not interested in climate change and nuclear apocalypse. To them, that's no big deal. They've seen crazier stuff. You know, in the history of our planet, we've had five of these things we call mass extinctions, where something happens that changes the climate or the environment and a lot of species die. And we've had five of those so far. And tardigrades... um, predate even the first one. They evolved before the first mass extinction and they're still here, which means they've survived all five of them.
3: Right. That's a little suspicious if you ask me, if you think about it, isn't it? You You think that
0: makes them suspect number one? (laughs)
3: Yeah, I mean, there isn't any other
0: suspect. I think it's pretty awesome. I'm amazed. I love these little creatures. I mean, I don't want to see one the size of a school bus uh, walking into my backyard. And they are a little creepy, but they're also sort of awesome. Like what evolutionary path led to them? Could we survive this way? Like, could we copy this technology somehow to become more radioactive, uh, more protective from radiation? It just, it seems so awesome when when evolution finds a little niche to reveal secrets to you.
3: And it's amazing to think about what we must look like to them, you know? Imagine being such a hearty being and seeing all these other animals around you that are really, if you think think about it, compared to them, we're Super fragile and uh, really vulnerable.
0: <laughs> That's right. We're these huge squishy meat bags, right? All you have to do is poke us, <laughs> yeah. and boom, it's over. <laughs> yeah, just a little poke. Uh, these are crazy little creatures. Uh, there's also a lot of really other fun little facts you can learn about them. Like they, um, they actually molt like snakes do. You know, they shed their skin. What? Yeah, they really are tiny little creatures. I mean, they're the size of microbes, but they really are animals. It's sort of like Ant Man. You know, like actually getting. Um, shrunk down to the microscopic world and living among these creatures like they have organs inside and everything oh yeah no they poop and everything like they eat they poop they (laughs) they are little creatures yeah absolutely there's tardy poop (laughs) there might be tardy podcasts for all we know so they
3: molt like snakes
0: yeah they molt like snakes and there's lots of little versions of them there's one that i find particularly hilarious that doesn't poop except when it molts it's like (laughs) <laughs> it holds it in for months and then it gets rid of its skin and <laughs> just leaves it all behind. <laughs> so I'm not sure we really want to adopt like all of the culture of these tardigrades, you know, there's some things we just want to pick and choose. It's like a buffet.
3: Well, I, I don't know, you know, if you only had to go to the bathroom once every couple of months, that would save you a lot of time <laughs> and conserve water, which might be low
0: supply in the future. Yep, that's true. If you're holding that all in, you might also want to leave that skin behind because it seems kind of soiled.
3: All right. So those are tardigrades, little tiny actual animals, not insects, not bugs, not bacteria, but actual little animals that will
0: probably outlive all of us. Almost certainly outlive all of us. And, you know, each individual yeah. tardigrade doesn't actually live that long. They only live for like three months, maybe up to two years. But really? then of course, yeah, they reproduce.
3: I mean, unless they get frozen in space or something.
0: Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, then they can live longer. But sort of like alive oh. time, unfrozen time is, is not that long. Um, so it's not like there are like thousand year old tardigrades combing the earth, you know, with ancient wisdom in them or anything.
3: Oh, man. They're busy. They're <laughs> busy uh, getting busy. <laughs>
0: they are. They're male tardigrades, they're female tardigrades. It's a whole society. You know, they probably have dating apps. They've been around a lot longer than us. So. They've got this thing figured out. Oh, wow. Yeah, to survive
3: at that uh, scale, and that, they must be pretty busy reproducing, right?
0: Mm-hmm. There are definitely more tardigrades are mm-hmm. on Earth than people.
3: All right, I'm just going to go have some nightmares right
0: now. and <laughs> Well, you thank know, you, Daniel. just like your house cat would be terrifying if it was larger. These things are tiny, and so you don't have to worry about them. Well, thanks to Jazelle for writing in and asking us to talk about tardigrades. They're a really fun subject. Hope you enjoyed it. And when next
3: time you look up at the moon, you can know that we have some neighbors out there.
0: And wave to the moon and be friendly because we don't know what their intentions are. We hope you enjoyed that. See you next time. If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge, that's one word, or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: the therapy for black girls podcast is your space to explore mental health personal development